Door Church, Pastor James Cruz here. Thank you so much for checking out uh, the part two of the video. We're going to get right into it. If you're on the podcast, part two, we've, we're talking about 10 things biblically we do to raise our kids. We did the first five. This is part two. Again, if you want to help support the ministry, if you believe in what we're doing, if these videos have helped you, if, if you've been on the weekend to a church and you've liked what we've seen, help us. Help us continue to spread the word of God to people and things like videos. Help us to, to do more on the weekends, be able to do more services on the weekends. Help us to reach into the community more. The best way you can do that, number one, is by joining us, becoming part of the team. Number two is to financially support us. It takes money to run a church. It takes money for us to do these things, and we do it off of people like you's donation. So would you prayerfully consider giving a donation to Adore Church? You can go to adorechurch.com, adorechurch.com. There's a give button. We would love for you to prayerfully consider giving today to the ministry. Help us help people. Simple tax-free donation. Take you one minute to do it. We love you. We pray that God blesses you for even thinking about it and praying about it. We know that God will help you and instruct you in what to do. We are in part two of helping raise kids, how we raise kids. We're going to jump into the last five. We're going to start with number six or number one today, but I'm going to call it six because if you missed part one, go back and listen to that one. Part six is we teach our kids the fear of God. Psalm 34, 11 says, Come, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 3 says, Happy is the man who finds wisdom and gains understandings. And it lists the blessings after that. So the Bible is very clear of the fear of the Lord is a good thing. We hear the word fear and we think like Jason. We think of like a horror movie, like The Conjuring. We think of like cowering in the corner and being scared and petrified. You know, there's such a thing called a healthy fear. We should have a healthy fear of God. Because listen to me, God is holy. Right? People a lot now is, is God is love. That's like the big thing. God's love and he loves you and he loves you and he loves you and he loves you. He is. God is love. No greater love can a man to show you than he laid down his life for another. He has demonstrated his love for you. And while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. He is love. 100%. He is also holy. And what does holy mean? He's perfect. He cannot be around sin. He is perfect. He is holy. And so those are the two sides of God. And a lot of times we talk about love because sometimes we use love as an advantage to do what we want to do. Paul said, even though I could do these things, should I? Even now knowing that, that every time I mess up, every mistake I make, I know God's going to forgive me. But that give me the right to continue to do it? Should I keep doing it knowing I'm going to be saved? Right? If I have a son and I said, son, don't do fill in the blank. Don't punch your sister. And he punched her. And I grab him and I say, bud, look, you can't do that. I need you to ask forgiveness. Ask your sister to forgive you. Ask God to forgive you. Let's move forward. And then he punched her again. And then he punched her again. And he kept punching her. And I sat him down. And I said, why do you keep punching her? He goes, look, why not? I know you're going to forgive me. I know God's going to forgive me. So what does it matter anyway? I can still do it with no consequence. I can still do it because you're, you love me, Dad. You love me. You see how that pattern goes? At some point, we have to understand that God's love, so he'll forgive you. That's why the word repent comes in your Bible. And repent means to turn from your things you're doing. It means I was going this way, and I'm going to repent, and I'm going to turn, and I'll go this way. So I want Levi to stop punching my daughter. Like, I don't want you to just to ask for forgiveness. I want you to find a way to stop hitting her. That's where the holiness of God comes in. We have to teach our kids that God is holy, that he hates sin. He will not be around sin. He can't stand sin. How does that translate into parents? You see, as parents, when you're raising kids, you have to, when you, 
Raise kids, you have to get them to the ability at the beginning, you'll just say, don't, stop. And something in them will stop them from doing it because they understand, I'm more scared about what my mom's gonna do to me than doing this actual action, right? There's a, dis there's a, there's a consequence to the action. At the beginning, that consequence overrides the action, right? I was a teenager growing up. My mom's Puerto Rican in Everett, Massachusetts. There was a lot of times that I got the ability, had the ability to do something that was bad, but I could hear my mom's voice and I could see her. And I knew if I did that, when I got back home, what I saw at home was going to be way worse than the joy or the feeling I got from doing that for 10 seconds, a minute, five minutes. I remember one night I stayed out with a friend. And back in the day, I had to carry a roll of quarters because there was no cell phones back in the day. So I had to call my mom everywhere I went. And so we ended up going out one night. We were hanging out in, in Malden and Everett, just causing ruckus. And I ended up just, we didn't go to bed. We just hung out and played basketball pretty much all night long in streets so we could find different courts. And I came to church the next morning, that Sunday morning, and I hadn't called my mom. I literally totally forgot about it. But something in me a couple times a night was like, you need to call her. And I just ignored it. When I got to church that next morning, I watched in the back row, I just felt this thing on my ear. I think I was like 15, 16 years old. And my mom took me out back and lit my butt up. I was grounded. I was almost killed physically. <laughs> I mean, it was bad. She had a rule in place. And I had stopped. The, the fear had dissipated to the point where I made a bad choice. You see, the fear of God or the fear of parenting, one of the great things about fear is it's supposed to give you the ability to say, I'm more afraid about the consequences than the action. That's healthy fear of God. That's why you, going back to the, the first, third point we said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When you get the word of God in you, it builds you up to say, this is right and this is wrong. And, not only, and the world will tell you the flip side of that. The world will tell you this is right and this is wrong. Always. And so you have, a, you have these conundrums we find ourselves in all the time. Your kids will too. My mom told me to do this, but my friends are saying this. My mom told me to do this, but the world is telling me this. We have to have a fear of God to understand. I don't, might not know all the equation, might not know why, but I'm scared to make that choice. I understand and I've been told by people I trust and respect, this is not the right choice. The fear of God is good. The fear of God is a good thing. We want to teach our kids what that looks like and how that looks like. And that goes into everything. And again, that trumps what you have done in your past. It trumps the idea that you drank, you smoked, you had sex, you did this, you did that, you, you, were, you got a divorce, you were unfaithful, you were broke up with people, you had pride, you had anger. We all did. All of us have that stuff. But you've also seen what that can do. You've also seen the pain and suffering that it's caused. And so that doesn't give us the right to give our kids the ability to go do those things. We have to tell them, listen, you're going you're gonna to trust me. Because if you don't do what I say, one, you're going to break my heart. Two, it's only going to hurt you. That's what God does. The fear of God is wisdom and knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. Trust that God's got a better plan for your life than you have. Teach your kids to trust that you have a better plan for their life than they do. Because it's true. Number seven is forgiveness. We have to teach our kids 
forgiveness. Though I walk through the valley of Sheth, shadow of death, Psalm 23, 4, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's correction. Matthew 6, 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive those our debtors, or forgive us our trespasses, another version says, as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, pray this way. He said, this is one of the things you need to pray. God, forgive me and help me forgive others. Colossians 3 says, bear with each other, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance, forgive as the Lord forgave you. First John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us from all our sins and unrighteousness. God is a forgiving God. He forgives people. People that earned it, people that deserved it, people that didn't deserve it. We have become a culture now where forgiveness is not given. Another way you could say it is cancel culture. Everything in culture now is canceling everybody. You made a tweet 20 years ago about something that was inappropriate. Was it inappropriate? Yes. Do I have to pay the price for a mistake I made for the rest of my life in our culture? Yes. If you don't believe a certain way, yes. If you don't think a certain way, yes. You can't change. You can't grow up. You can't make things better. You can't apologize and be done. We have to cancel you and everything you believe in and your family and your businesses and your corporations. If you don't bow down to the way we want to do stuff, then we're going to cancel you. There is no forgiveness anymore. It's canceling. It's the woke culture of this world. We're canceling everything. Some things are valid. Some things need to be talked about. Some issues we have in the world need to be talked about. Because look, there's no perfect person. There's no perfect country. There's no perfect president. There's no perfect senator. There's no perfect police officer. There is no perfection. And when we try to attain perfection, we fall flat on our face. And what happens is people now are standing on top of other people to move up the ladder. I'm going to point out your flaws, and when, I, when they're looking at your flaws, nobody's looking at my flaws. We have to forgive. Look, people mess up. You have messed up. If you followed me around the first, what time is it, 10 a.m.? I've already made like 12 mistakes this morning that I have to ask forgiveness for God for, my wife for, my kids for, myself for. We ain't perfect. Stop acting like you're perfect. Stop acting like there should be perfection in everything in our culture. Stop teaching our, if you believe that, if you're a parent and you're out there on Facebook just blasting your school board committee for everything they do, blasting the whole world for everything, go on Facebook. It is crap on there. It's all people pointing other people's flaws out. We have to build people up. We have to reach down and grab people and pull them up and say, I know you've messed up. I know you screwed up. Welcome to the club. With Jesus' help and his mercy and his grace, we can be better. We can be a better country. We can be a better people. We can be a better family. We can be better doctors, lawyers, police officers, coaches, athletes, students, husbands, wives, daughters, brothers. We can be better if we forgive. But you don't know what they've done. There's consequences to actions. Totally. People will have consequences. But we have to also forgive. Tim Keller, a very great pastor, once said this, unforgiveness is a pill that you swallow thinking it's going to kill somebody else. I think that's one of the greatest representations of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is a pill you swallow, a poison pill you swallow that you think is going to kill somebody else, but it only kills you. Maybe your son or daughter has been hurt by people on their team 
by a teacher, by a coach, maybe a friend. Maybe they carry around this guilt and shame. Maybe there's anger. We've got to be able to let it go. Doesn't mean we have to be okay with what happened, but forgiveness. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You did nothing for it, yet Christ forgave you. On the cross, Jesus hung there and said, Father, forgive them, for I know not, they know not what they do. He set the standard for us. As parents, forgive your kids. Don't hold things against them. Kids, forgive your parents. Don't hold things against them. Politically wise, forgive. It is okay to agree to disagree. We have to teach our kids this. I could see red, you could see blue. You could see red, I could see blue. We have to be able to disagree with each other, but not tear each other down because of it and have unforgiveness and, and disrespect in our hearts for people. That's not godly. It's not the way God intended us to be. Forgive. He is faithful to forgive us from all our sins. We need to be a people as Christians, as followers of God, that we say we forgive people. We look for the best in people. We see hope in people in our kids first, and the world as well. Teach them forgiveness. Next one is this, a servant's heart. Teach our kids to have a servant's heart. Mark 10, 43 says, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. If you go to Amazon right now, there's 750 billion books about leadership. Need this, lead that. We wanna raise a, a generation of leaders. I want my three boys and my daughter to be leaders. I tell them all the time, don't be followers, be leaders. You know the best way to do that? Serve. Just like everything else it seems like in the world, the Bible flips it on its head. Jesus flipped it on his head. He said, you wanna be the best? Be the least. You wanna lead? Serve. He modeled this. Every day of his life, he looked for somebody else to increase their life, to bring value to their life. You were blind? Now you can see. You were deaf, now you can hear. You were dead, now let's raise you from the dead. You need some fish for your business, Paul? Cast your nets. He was constantly putting value in people, serving people, loving people. He never went, look at me, bro. Jesus. Bow down. Worship me, son of God. No, he said, what do you need? Let's talk. Let's pray. You need saved? Right here. Start slapping my back. Crown of thorns, throw it on my head. Nail me to the cross. Bring it. I am going to serve. Our generation now is all about me. What do I got to do to get to the top? How many likes can I get? How can I bully somebody else to put my name up? How many people can I push down to raise myself up? We got to teach our kids to serve, 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 serve. Acts 20, 35. The words of Jesus, it is more blessed to give than receive. Matthew 7, 12, do for others what you like them to do for you. So how do we get our, teach our kids to serve? One of the great ways to teach your kids to serve and give them serving opportunities is in the church. It's one of the beauties of the local church. We have kids ministry where your teenage son and daughter can go in and serve kids on Sunday mornings. Love on kids. We have a greeting team that they can be outside and welcoming people in. They can commit time. They can get up early on a Sunday morning and they can serve. They have abilities to sing or play instruments. They can serve on the team at church. They're creative. They can make graphics, artists. They can write. They can draw. We can use them at the church. In the community, they can serve on their teams. They can serve. Teach them to have a, a servant's heart. Listen to Isaiah 58.6. Write this one. Mark this down. Tattoo it on your face. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Isaiah 58, 6. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Move the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. <clears throat> Excuse me. Give clothes to those who need them. Don't hide from relatives who need help. Ooh, that hurt. Then your salvation will come like the dawn. Your blessings. Your wounds will heal quickly. Your godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then you will call on the Lord, and he will answer. We want all of these things. My salvation. To me, it finds healing. To, to godliness, what is lead you forward. Leadership positions. The glory of the Lord to protect you in your life. Give you blessings. God to answer your prayers. He said, these are things you want. You know how you get them? Serve. Go out and help people. Love on people. Tell people about the good news. Like the gospel literally means good news. Tell people about Jesus. Because Jesus can heal them. Jesus can touch them. Jesus can help them. Serve. That's why we're passionate about getting everybody we can involved in the local church, about getting you and your family plugged into the local church where they're serving and loving and finding life and finding wisdom and finding knowledge and finding the principles of God's word to put in you because this is the stuff that can help you. This is the stuff that will be successful in life. Serve, serve, serve. Number nine, teach your kids to have a bigger purpose. Teach them to dream big, see big, think of themselves as big. Psalm 139, you know this. Before I was born, you knew me. In my mother's womb, you knit me together, the Bible says. Jeremiah 29, 11 talks about the plans that God has for you and a purpose that God has for you. 1 Peter 4 says, each one of us has a gift. Minister it to one another. Your kids, I don't care how young they are, have a gift. Our job as parents is to steward that gift. What are you passionate about? And that could change over time. That could totally change over time. Find what their gifts are. Help them find out what their gifts are. Help them find out what, what burns in them, what they're passionate about. Maybe you don't know what that is. Maybe you have gifts or talents that you're not using right now. It doesn't mean you have to do that for your livelihood or your income. There's, getting a paycheck is noble. Providing for your family is noble. However you find yourself to do it. Through pandemics, all this stuff right now, you providing for your family, good on you. But sometimes your gift and talents don't have to equal the thing that you do for a living. It can be a thing that you do on your spare time, in passion. My kids are passionate about sports. So we pour a lot into sports, not because I want them to go to the NBA, not because I want college scholarship, because there's life lessons in sports where they can lead, they can do things, they can open up doors for them later on in life. So I steward that, I put that in them. Maybe your kids have gifted music. You know what we can do at the church? We can use them. You can, you can help them with their gifts through the church. Maybe you're, maybe, uh, maybe you're very extroverted and you feel like, man, I'd love to talk to people. I'd love to be around people. We could use you at the church. I'll give you a microphone. You could welcome people. You could talk all day long. Whatever your gift is, the Bible says, minister to one another with that gift. And part of the passion of our church and the desire of the local church to be connecting your gifts with the ability to use your gifts. No matter what age you are, no matter what size you are, no matter, no matter uh, what talent that is, no matter whatever, get a hold of us. Email us, call us. We can plug you in to use your gifts. Your kids have gifts. Tell them they have a purpose. Tell them they're bigger than what they think they are. Don't let the world tell your kids what their value is. You tell them what their value is and you base that value on God's word about them. You're beautiful and you're wonderfully made. When you came out of the womb, 
God made you that way and it's beautiful. God put the color of skin on your, on your body for a reason. Everything about you was made before time began. God knew your name, the Bible says. You don't have to be something else. You don't have to be someone else. God loves you and made you just the way you are. And the world will constantly tear it down. One of the things that's always so common, read your Bible, study your Bible. God is always trying to build up and the devil is always trying to tear down. God tried to build a family in the garden with Adam and Eve. And what was the first thing the devil did? He attacked the family, ripped them apart, ripped Adam and Eve apart. God, throughout the rest of the New Old Testament, he's trying to build a family. Abraham and Sarah, she can't have a baby. On and on it goes. Where God's constantly trying to build the church and the devil's trying to tear it down. God builds, the devil tears down. Build your kids up because the world is going to come and try to tear them down. Build yourself up because the world is going to come and tear you down. That's why the Bible says, Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Last one, number 10, the need for good friends. This is a big one. Proverbs 18, 24 says, A man who has friends must first be friendly. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 27, 17 talks about iron, sharpen iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friends. Listen to me. We need to have friends. You need to have friends. I'm just going to be honest. I don't know who's going to hear this. Maybe you need to hear this. But I grew up in New England. Coming back here, being around here, things haven't changed very much. So many of us out here have superficial friendships. We go to fire pits at people's houses every Friday night, every Thursday night or different places, and we don't build friendships. We talk trash about other people. We talk about sports. We talk about other people's mistakes. We talk about the job being terrible. We talk about politics, but we don't build friendships. So many people I talk to here doing this church and getting into the church and talking about people are like, I don't have real friends. There's nobody like-minded around here. Nobody believes what I believe. I don't say that out loud, but they don't believe I say it the same way. Look, one of the passions we have at our church is to connect you with people like that. So that when you come to somebody's house, you go to a fire pit, you talk about what's going on with your daughter. Let's talk about how to help her. What's going on with my son? We sit down and go, dude, my son is a wreck. He is making bad choices right now. I need help. I need prayer. I need somebody to be with me to help me through this. My dad's got cancer and he's dying. How can I help you? How can I pray for you? Not at the end game and go, yeah, here's a cannoli. Sorry for your loss. But how do we walk through this with God's word? We need friendships at the parental level. Look, if you're out there and you're just like, I don't have that, Pastor James. Look, get, get a hold of us. We want to connect you with people in our church. You know how you do that? Open up your home. Email us. So you know what? On Friday night, I want to open my home. Bring some people in. The restrictions I've listed, I think you can have 25 people at your home right now. We'll bring some people to your home that are like-minded. We'll connect you. We'll start building relationships. A fire pit at a time. Real conversations about God. Real conversations about family. I'm in. Let's do it. This is what we want to be at our church. We want to connect you with people that are like-minded, that have the principles. These 10 things that we're all on the same path, pushing. Not perfect, but we're pushing towards those things. Why? Because your friends need it. Your kids need it. They need friendships that are helping them, not tearing them down. And that means we have to take stock in our kids' lives enough to say, this is a friend. And I've already had these conversations with my kids. 
Look, this kid right here, stay away from him. He's not good. He's not being a good influence on you. He's a bully or he's, he's doing things that are not the right way. We have to say, doesn't mean you can't be acquaintances. Doesn't mean you can't play on the best sports team, but we're not gonna invest our time into him. We're not gonna invest what we have. We're not gonna open our heart for him only to, but what does that mean about getting people saved? And how do you get it? Look, I tell my kid, you invite him to church. You love on him when you can. You unconditionally love him when he's around, but you're not gonna build a lasting relationship with him because it's only gonna hurt you. Same thing with the girls. Same thing with dating and relationships right now. I tell my sons all the time, look, you want to date a girl? That's fine. But we're not just dating for the fun of it. We're not just doing Tinder with life. Your heart is too fragile. Your heart means too much. We have to protect ourselves. Guarding your heart is big. I remember when I was growing up and I grew up in the church, doesn't mean I was perfect. But I remember a guy, a pastor, saying, look, the Bible lays it out clear. You don't have to make this choice. But he was like, it's better if you do. He's like, you know, when it comes to sexual promiscuity, when it comes to sex before marriage, it's not a good idea. I know everybody does it, and culturally it's everywhere, but God has rules. Rules is maybe a bad word. God has laws. God has commandments. God has things he says that you shouldn't do this because it will lead to this. And he's very honest and open. I can go through the Bible. I remember at 14, 15 years old, just going, you know what? I'm gonna believe that. My parents sat me down and said the same thing to me. Like, we can't make you do this, but if you wanna honor God, this is one of the things that God has you to do. And I did it. I'm not saying this to boast. I'm not saying this to make me feel better than you or you feel like this guy's great. No, I'm saying this to be honest. And there are many times I got in relationships with girls probably way less times than I wanted to. <laughs> but there are times where I could have. But I said, you know what? I'm gonna keep my virginity till I walk down the aisle one day. I'm, I'm, not, gonna, I'm not gonna have sex with a girl till I walk down the aisle, till I meet that girl and I look her in the eye. Because I want her to know that I valued her. I want to know that before I knew her, I was saving myself for her. I want her to know before I knew her, I loved her. And I wanted to know these other girls that I met that I, I, I cared about them enough not to do that. Not to, to complicate things like that. Not, not to make those choices. And God honored my prayer. Because I met a girl from Illinois, in the farms of Illinois, that was seeing and praying the same thing. And we walked down the aisle one day in our mid-20s after we graduated college. And I stood there in front of a pastor a virgin, she stood in there in front of the pastor as a virgin, and we had one wild, crazy, confusing honeymoon night, but it was awesome. Does it make me better than you? No. But I tell that story to my kids, and I say it was the greatest decision I made. It was hard, it wasn't easy, the world told me to do everything else, everybody was saying just do it, everybody was telling me this, but I said, you know what, this is what I want, I want a good friend. I want somebody that I can spend my life with. I want them to know that I valued and loved them. And so those people that were saying those things, those girls, those guys, I just pushed them off. No, not gonna happen. And I surrounded myself with friends that believed in what I was doing, that respected what I was doing, 
that helped me in what I was doing because it wasn't easy and I couldn't do it without friends. Now, maybe you're a parent out there, you're like, oh my gosh, I wasn't a virgin when I got married. How could I tell my kids? Again, has nothing to do with what you did. Has everything to do with what's right out of God's word that you're willing to preach to your kids because you understand the consequences and understand the things. Well, it didn't affect me in a bad way. Okay. Just because something didn't affect you in a bad way doesn't mean it didn't affect other people. I'm not preaching on a high horse that you need to make these decisions, do these choices. I'm just saying, don't let your past dictate how you parent your kids. Parent your kids from God's word. What does God's word say? What does God's word preach? I'm not preaching you, kid. I'm preaching Jesus. Again, back to the very beginning. Imitate me as what? I imitate Christ. This is God's word I'm giving you. I'm trying and I want you to try. I'll close with this, 2 Timothy 3, 5. Because I think this is important. People think the Bible is irrelevant. People think the Bible is out of date. People think the Bible is messed up. Tell me this isn't 2021. 2 Timothy 3. In the last days, people will love only themselves and their money. Let's teach our kids not to do those two things. They will be boastful, proud, scoffers of God, disobedient to parents, and ungrateful. Notice how it throws disobedient to parents in there. That's ramping up in the last times. We're seeing a rise in the disrespect of parents, a rise in the, in the blowing up the nuclear family, rise in the disrespecting of authority. Boastful, proud, scoffers of God, disobedient parents, ungrateful. They were considered nothing sacred. There's nothing off limits. Do whatever you want, right? We hear it now. If it feels good, do it. Billie Eilish, one of the most popular people on the planet. She's always saying, look, if it feels good, I just do it. Feels good, do it. Feels good, do it. Feels good, do it. That's a stupid theology to live by. Because at some point, what feels good for you and what feels good for me are going to collide. And who wins? That theology, that life point doesn't roll out for longevity. It just is an excuse for you to do something that you want to do in that moment without any consequences. If it feels good, do it is not a way to live your life. That's really no way of living at all. Because some point, your feelings are going to override somebody else's feelings and either you're going to win or they're going to win. They're going to be subject to your feelings or you're going to subject them. They're going to subject you to your feelings. It can't, you can't ride that out. Right? If you're mad and angry at somebody and they've broken your heart or they've done something horrible to you, abuse of some kind, everything in you feels like you should go kill them. Right? Eye for an eye. You killed me, I'm going to go kill you. Right? We would teach our kids, that's not good. Revenge is never good. Revenge is never the answer. We teach everybody. Except we also teach them, if it feels good, do it. See how it just does this? Because if you went and murdered somebody, you went and shot somebody right now, you'd go to jail. The, the system, the world, culture will tell you, you just can't go around killing people. And you can't stand up to the judge and go, look, it felt good. It felt really good to kill that person. They bullied me online, did a lot of stuff. I'm going to go in, I'm going to shoot up the high school, I'm going to shoot up the business, I'm going to kill people. Can I, can I use that as a defense? The judge would go, sorry, son, you're going away for life. 
You see how it doesn't work? See how the devil always plays it off like it sounds beautiful on Instagram. It feels good, do it. Oh, utopia, sounds so amazing. It's crap. There's laws that we live in this country by. There's things we do that are good and ungood. There's consequences to our actions. They will slander others. They will have no self-control. They will be cruel and have no interest in what is good. They will betray their friends. Be reckless, puffed up with pride, love pleasure rather than God. If it feels good, do it. They will act as if they are religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. You must stay away from people like that. They will act religious, but reject the power that God made him. Listen to me. Whatever church you're involved in, whatever religion you are, if they are rejecting God's word, if they're not preaching God's word, if they're not teaching God's word, if there's not life there, if it's just a bunch of dumb traditions that you go to because you feel like it's a country club and you see Bob and Janice and you say hi to each other and you have no idea what's being preached, but you just go because you're supposed to go and you give because you're supposed to give, stop. They act religious but they reject the power that God made them. You must stay away from people like that. You need to get yourself into a church that preaches life of Jesus, that is life-giving, that challenges you on what you're living, challenges you on what you believe in, challenges you to be a better parent, better daughter, better son, better husband, better worker, better fill in the blank. Too many churches, I know especially around here, are dead. It's just a religious activity that you do, and it's doing nothing for you. It's doing nothing for your kids. It's doing nothing for your friends. Now, I'm not preaching come to my church or our church. I would say we're pretty good, and I would highly recommend that you come. But if you don't like it, find another church that's amazing and like it. Find another church that's giving your friends, giving you friends, building life into your life, into your family, into your friends, and preaching Jesus. This is a non-negotiable thing if you follow God. Get in church. Get in a life church. church. And listen to me, if you're a part of our church, I want to challenge you. Get your friends. Put this message on for them. Have them listen to this message or part one or part two and challenge them to go, listen, tell me you don't need to go to that church. Tell me you don't need to hear these things for your family. Tell me these things won't help your family. Tell me these aren't the hard conversations that you need to have with yourself and your kids because they are. And God's word is true and God's word finds freedom in you. If you love them, you will do it. If you love your kids, you will do it. If you love the friendships that you have. If the next time you're at a fire pit and you sit around and go, oh my gosh, what are we talking about? You know what? I just say, guys, look. I can't do this. I gotta find some people that are gonna make me better. They're gonna invest in me. They're gonna challenge me. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta run God. I gotta be, I gotta get, get, get in those things. That's why I'm passionate about Door Church, not because it's mine and not because I wanna build something for myself. I could care less. What I care about is you and people like you and your families and giving you God's word to give you success and life and freedom. Let me get off my soapbox. <laughs> Let me tell you, these 10 things are not easy. These 10 things are not uh, all attainable maybe at once. You know, I, I look at myself and there's a lot of ones I have to work on continually. Perfection is not required. Pursuit is. I'm pursuing Jesus. I'm imitating Jesus as I imitate Christ. You need help. You need prayer. You need conversations. You need counsel. Call me. Go on the email. Go on the website, give us some feedback, direct message, comment, share, whatever. We're here for you. We love you. Have a great day.